Right, let's pray. All right, Jesus, thanks for loving us. Thanks for dying for our sins. Thank you for setting us free in the gospel. And um, I pray that you would speak words of words of uh, words of grace and words of healing and uh, words of freedom to us. Ask the Spirit in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so uh, this class, I'm super super excited about this topic. The reason I'm super excited about this topic is because um, I just hear lots and lots of families, parents in particular, who are just very they feel very bonded, like very trapped. I hear this language of, of obligation a lot. You know, like, but you have to do this, or if you don't do this, then da 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 da. And well, you know, I, I, was, I really wouldn't prefer that my child be uh, be doing this or doing that or have have this on their phone or whatever. But you know, if you don't, then blah 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 blah. And so, so anyhow, there's basically a lot of people feel a lot of obligation. And so, um, so let me start out by this by saying. Um, okay, can we, draw, if, can we like, you know, go around and maybe share a little bit, if you feel comfortable? But like, where, where is an area where you feel, um, you kind of feel the sense of like, gosh, I would prefer that my kid not have a second grade cheerleading coach, or I really don't want my kid doing travel baseball, or my daughter doing AAU basketball. I really don't want my kid to have a smartphone, but dot, 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 and where you kind of feel the sense of like pressure, or maybe a sense of fear and anxiety. Anybody want to? Share an example. I feel it everywhere, Tony. Do you really? Yeah, like my housework is a mess. Huh. It's just like you said, does, does my daughter need a cheerleading coach when she's seven years old? Yeah. Wow, okay. And I yeah, yeah. My location. Does she need to learn to snow ski? Everybody says they need to snow ski. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's very, that's very helpful. Y'all come on over here. We have a bunch of seats at this table. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, that's what? Um, anybody else? Well, technology could yeah. definitely, you know. I think, I don't have a problem standing up to my child. Yeah. I'm not, that's not a problem, but down the road, is this going to cause me saying no because I think this is a, Snapchat is a bad thing, and you shouldn't have a phone, and blah, blah, blah. Because of these things, because no one else may feel the way I do, and no one makes the same choices. Sure, yeah. On the road, is that going to cause them further problems? You know, yeah, totally. How is that going to... Yeah. The feeling of being an outcast. Or, um, and really, I mean, at any age, I mean, I guess I'm, it's hard to make those hard decisions if people don't really understand, and they say... And situation that you feel lonely and they feel mm. lonely mm. and they feel so different that it's hard as an adult but then as a child I'm just constantly praying let them know that their worth is in Christ let them know because there's always more I mean you know it's my mom's funny and tells me this and she says you know at the yacht club there's always a bigger yacht so, I mean, and, and so you say we're not there yet, but it's true. No matter no matter how far you're down the road. Yeah. But it's that's what's hard is them. Mm-hmm. You want them to. I don't know, have friends even. Well, this, yeah. I mean, I feel like when we, you know, 30 years ago when I was a teenager, we felt that way. We felt lonely and outcast then. It's uh-huh. just amplified a hundred percent now. I just feel like it's. They're, they're teenagers, they're going to go through that regardless of, of life. But I feel like, like you're saying, that just adds fuel to the fire more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? We're talking, the question is, um, you know, where do you feel a sense of obligation or a sense of pressure, like, uh, uh, with your kids, um, you know, to kind of, like, to keep up or anxiety about, I don't really want to do this, but... Uh, I don't really want my child to have this material or I don't want my child to be involved in this activity, but if I don't, there's kind of this slippery slope kind of fear. Anybody else have one want to throw in there? Mary Bradley, do you feel it yet with a five-year-old? Yeah. Four, four or five? Yeah. Well, I'm here. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah, I'm trying to um, figure out a way to cut it off with the Yeah, yeah. already got kids that have 
Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How about it? I think that's where our husbands get some good balance because they're not so much in the the crazy the frenzy. Mom talk. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, well, this is very helpful. So part of the reason I, I like I said before that I uh, two reasons why I'm excited about this talk are one it really does seem that a lot of that this dynamic is what drives most of the stuff. This sense of, um, what, you know, how are things getting, how are things so out of control with technology? How are things so out of control with kids' schedules and the activities? And how um, they have, you know, like I said, you know, we're, ta- we're driving Johnny to five basketball practices a night in Pelham, and he's, you know, six <coughs> years old. Um, you know, and it seems like a lot of it is this sense of if I don't, my child will fall behind. If I don't, my child will be alienated. If I don't, uh, I will be alienated, and there will there will, there will be a price to pay. And so, whenever there's a sense of of like fear and pressure, that means the gospel is not present there. And the gospel has the power to, is is relief. The gospel sets us free, and, and relieves our burden. So, so yeah. So that's that's um we're gonna kind of we're gonna talk about this a little bit. All right, so, um, so first off, there are four areas where I, I see families feel a sense of pressure to kind of keep up. Um, one is with sports. I hear this all the time. I hear that, uh, you know, it's like seventh grade cheerleading tryouts or seventh grade dance tryouts. Like so much of your life from second and third grade, it can be dictated by the choices you make over the next five years. Um, with, the, with everything being pointed towards dance tryouts or cheerleading tryouts, all right? So our whole, our, our family life, our pocketbook can be very influenced because, and this is the language I hear, if you don't do this dance class or if you don't get the private cheerleading coach or if they don't do this, this cheerleading clinic um, or if they're not in AAU basketball, uh, then they're not going to make the team in the sixth or the seventh grade. Da, 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 da. You know? And and so um, I, I was talking to someone um, to someone at a wedding, very like grounded Christian person. She played she played college basketball, um, and her you know she said that she was driving her daughter to Pelham three nights a week uh, to you know for AAU basketball, and uh, this was her first child, and her her oldest of three. And, you know, this was the third grade. And, but she said, but people said to us, if you don't do that, she's not going to make the team in the seventh grade. She's not going to make the team in junior high and high school. And, like, she's not going to be able to play basketball. Like, your only option is buy in, do the AAU now, or your child will never have this opportunity to play basketball. Um, so that's one. Second one is academics. Um, I'm, I'm uh, kind of amazed. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean this, like, critically by how people book tutors four months before the school year starts. Like, uh, we're not going to be able to do Bible study this year because we that's we have math tutor. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's June. Your cat, we don't even know if your kid's going to be bad at math yet, do we? Um, you know, but um, tutors and also, too, it seems like uh, ACT prep classes. That's another one, the SAT and ACT preps. Uh, every pencil down or whatever it is, whatever it is uh, that, you know, Families will um, spend a lot of money and invest a lot of time because there is this sense: if 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 my child doesn't take the class, then they're going to fail on the ACT, ACT, and that means they won't get into this college, and then that means you know the worst case scenario, they might end up middle class. Da 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 da. And so there's that fear right there. <laughs> it's like I told a parent last year, like, hey, look. Being middle class ain't all bad. Like, I can tell you. Um, you um, All right, another one is material purchases. Um, Parents feel a lot of pressure to, it seems like Lululemon tights and and designer jeans are kind of the big ones. But for boys, it's like different tennis shoes or whatnot or North Face jacket. That's been been around forever. 
But, um, or, you know, buying kids, um, well, buying technology, which that's my next one. But, um, yeah, like, we're not really necessarily excited about buying the fourth grader the $250 pair of blue jeans, but she's the only one at school that doesn't have, you know, I don't know, what is it, seven? Is that the, the, the big, the brand? I don't know. That, that's not right. I'm, 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 okay. Okay. Anyhow, I don't know. But anyhow, so I hear that a lot on the material end. And then, um, and then finally technology and with technology, I mean more like what kids have access to. Um, I, I sh I'll just flatly say Snapchat is one of the single worst things that's ever been invented ever. I mean, uh, if your child has Snapchat, I don't want you to feel like condemned or indicted, but I mean, it is, ter it's terrible. Uh, if you, it, it, we've, we're going to say this about the, what girls have told us about. Uh, um, yeah, if you take it out of the audio. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, we'll just say, I'll just say in, in broad terms, uh, we get the sense that um, if a girl in particular has Snapchat, that she's probably going to be asked for, be invited to things that you really don't want your daughter uh, being solicited for. Um, and uh, with boys, uh, a, lot of, a lot of good boys make a lot of bad decisions because of Snapchat. Snapchat, again, is, is this app that, uh, where you can take a picture or send a message and it disappears after 10 seconds. So there's, like, there's no accountability. Um, you can send something and there's no record of it. And, uh, and every, every kid has it. Every kid has it. And I, you know, I'll just say, like, don't ever let your kid have Snapchat. Um, and yet, when I've talked to parents, like, does your kid have it? Well, yeah. Why? Well, everyone has it. I mean, he'd be the only one. They feel a lot of, there's just, again, this sense of pressure. Yeah. Yeah, there there is. I, I, yeah, it's true. There there nothing nothing is ever not recorded, and yeah, um, yeah. So so anyhow, but but so. So that's what's crazy is their brain development seems to not be at a place where they can understand that. Like it happens mm -hmm. over and over and over. They send the picture. It's screenshotted. It's a scandal. Everybody knows about it. And then three months later, it happens again. Mm -hmm. And then they just can't process it. Yeah. And, and again, what's driving the decision is, no, I don't, I don't really want my kid to have an iPhone at this age. No, I don't really want my kid to have internet at this stage. But, I mean, I don't want my kid to be the only kid who doesn't have a, who's walking around with a flip phone. And so, um, which I was the person walking around with a flip phone up until last October. Um, but anyhow, so, um, so, so yeah, so those are the areas where we see this. And the, the primary fears that I see, um, that I kind of see expressed are, number one, my child is going to fall behind. Like, if, if I don't do certain things academically, if I don't do certain things athletically, if I don't do certain things socially, then uh, my child is going to fall behind. And, and then what that means is my child is not going to be successful. My child is going to be average. <gasps> Having an average child, the worst nightmare. Um, Next, uh, my child will be left out. They will be socially ostracized. Um, they're going to be a loser. And so that's um, this fear of, of your child, kind of this kind of like social alienation and, and suffering. Uh, and then third is uh, my child will fail. Uh, my child will not succeed. Um, they'll, they'll go to tryouts and they won't make the team. And they'll, you know, and they'll, they will fail. Um, so anyhow, so those seem to be kind of the three overarching fears. And I, I kind of, I think you can kind of, uh, kind of uh, uh, harmonize all of those by saying that there's a fear that my child's going to suffer in some way. Suffer from rejection, suffer from fear, suffer from loneliness. So that seems to be the driving fear. And so um, what we're going to look at is, uh, this is not one of the, a lot of times I have, a, I read all these studies, and this isn't one of those days where I have all these studies. I do actually, I did read a lot of studies about, um, the mental health effects of what they called sports specialization. Kids, uh, kids being on like travel teams, doing like competitive sports year year round um, before sixth grade. And I figured it'd just be too depressing to share that information, so I'm not going to share it. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the toothpaste is probably out of the tube on that one, so it's probably at this point not worth it. Mary Bradley, you're the only one. 
try to avoid that. Uh, the sports specialization when Frank gets into uh, <laughs> Frank gets into you know yeah well, yeah if you, if you can as much as you can. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so what we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at uh, Matthew chapter 20. So Bibles are on the tables, um, and Matthew chapter 20. And this story, the more that I've kind of read it and study it. Oh, hey, no sweat. Hey, I know you. I know you're. I know you're all Los Angeles. You're putting all your shades inside. I know. You don't. You don't need to. Yeah. Um, yeah, Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. This is the story of the mother of James and John asked Jesus a favor. All right, so uh, I'm just going to read through the story and then we're going to break it apart. And here's the thing that I love about this story is that it reminds us that like humanity is age old and it's universal because this this mother is just like all of us. Just like all of us. And hey, I don't. By the way, I you know I, I don't, my 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 oldest in my house is you know she's about to be three in November. But trust me, I, I'm, not, I'm not in this yet, but I totally the impulses are there. You know, I, I always tell the story about uh, with my boys. I'm like, my boys are gonna be big. I'm big. They're gonna be big. My father-in-law played college football, and then the, you know the Quanjo brothers who played at Alabama. They they grew up playing soccer. And then they were like six foot five, 330 pounds. They had these great feet. So I'm like, soccer, soccer. My boys are going to play soccer. They're not going to be good enough to, you know, play Division One. But this, you know, I had this scheme, right? Of they're going to um, play soccer. They'll be big. They'll be good enough that they'll be able to, like, maybe an Ivy League school will notice them. And then what we'll do is for, you know, for their fifth, for, after senior year, send them to a prep school in the Northeast to get a little more exposure. This is this was something that was going through my mind when my oldest was like three months old. <laughs> yeah, okay? So I know, I, know, I kind of know, I, I, know I, I know the flesh. I don't know the practice yet, but I know the flesh. All right, so here we are in Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are. We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Jesus, but Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. But even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, so... You know, here we have a mother, and she has two sons, and she's going to Jesus, and she is asking Jesus basically to promote them. Um, and and Jesus says, you have, you really you don't you're not getting it. Like you don't you don't understand my kingdom, you don't understand my way, and you also don't understand the implications of what you're asking for. And um, and so then Jesus, you know, tries to kind of explain uh, what the true nature of his kingdom and the true nature of of kind of Really, we can interpret this as what you know what he's kind of calling us to to seek as parents. But um, but you know, to first to pick this apart a little more, um, you know, she she uh, has this idea that Jesus she misunderstands Jesus as the Messiah. Um, she's thinking Jesus is going to be a political king. He's going to have an earthly kingdom, and uh, you know, he's effectively like he's going to be the president of the United States. And so she's basically asking for her sons to have cabinet positions. I want this son to be the Secretary of State, and I want this son to be the Secretary of the Treasury. And so that's that. She's thinking purely in those terms, and you know, and she wants her sons uh, to have. Uh, she wants her sons to be successful. She wants them to have status, because uh, that's exactly what the, those two, in her mind, what those two positions would 
would provide for her sons. And, um, and you know, and Jesus had said in, in, in chapter 19, had talked about thrones that are prepared for all those who follow him in, king, in heaven. And so, so it's not like this is coming out of nowhere, but, but she is completely misunderstanding uh, you know, what Jesus meant by, by what, what glory actually entails. And so Jesus comes back and says, you know, do you, you really don't know what you're asking for. And when he says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Um, you know, cup is a symbol in, in, you know, in the Old Testament of, uh, it, it has multiple meanings, but primarily it's kind of of your destiny. It's a, you know, there's the cup of salvation, there's the cup of wrath. And so basically, you know, what is, um, uh, you know, what, what is, the kind of the pouring out of the cup is God kind of dictating or, you know, pouring out to you what, what your destiny is going to be. And so, you know, with Jesus, the cup that um, Jesus is kind of saying, like, if you want your child to have glory in my kingdom, your child is going to suffer. Like, the cup that I'm going to drink is a cup of incredible suffering. It's a, you know, it's a cup that involves betrayal of false accusation, of, of being tortured, um, of being crucified. And for Jesus, not for us, but for Jesus, it's, you know, experiencing eternal judgment, you know, hell, uh, not in effect, but hell um, on, and his death. And so, so basically Jesus is saying, you know, there, if, if you want status in my kingdom, first off, you, you're going to suffer. That's just all there is to it. To, to follow me is to encounter a tremendous amount of pain and difficulty. So that's the first thing he's saying to her. And then they come back and they say, we're able to handle this. And they're, they're just out of touch with reality. They, they don't get it either. And hey, no one, really, no one really understands Jesus until the cross. No one understands Jesus until the, his death and his resurrection. And so, um, and so hey, you know, we don't want to judge uh, James and John. Um, but here's the thing that's interesting is J- James and John, they do have great status in his kingdom. Uh, they are apostles. And James is the first martyr. He's the first of the apostles to be killed. Uh, and uh, John, is, he is actually the only one of the disciples who's not killed. But he, is, he does have a really rough life, and he is exiled and imprisoned, and, 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 and he encounters incredible difficulty uh, as he goes forward. So he, he says, you will drink my cup, and you will sit on my right and left hand, um, and, uh, and it's, but you're gonna, there's going to be a price to pay along with it. And so then Jesus comes back and he says, and, and, and oh, by the way, you know, like, it's not mine to grant who sits on my father's side. Uh, it's, it's only the father's. Like, you as a parent, uh, Salome, you, you can't effectuate that. And I, I, as the son, can't effectuate it. Only the father, only the father can, you know, draw, um, can, can take your son to the place that you want him to go. And so then Jesus finishes up, and the last thing he says is, uh, Whoever would be great among you must be a servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, you know, basically she is thinking, uh, the mother is thinking, and the sons are thinking too about upward mobility, success, status, um, affluence, power. And Jesus is like, no, 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 like the upward plane is actually a downward plane in my kingdom. Uh, you know, what, status in my kingdom is to be a servant. Status in my kingdom is to wash the feet of other people, is to lay down your life for others. And so, um, and so, so anyhow, so there are uh, five things that I see in this that I think that are applicable, very applicable to the keep up culture. Um, and uh, that, you know, kind of, kind of help us understand what's at the heart of, of our fear and our anxiety. The first is, uh, our attempt to micromanage our children's lives. Uh, that's what this woman is doing. Now let's think about how audacious this is. Here is, and also too, think about how awkward and embarrassing this would be. I mean, these are adult men, and their mommy is walking into their boss's off, office and saying, Jesus, I want him to be executive vice president, and I want him to be the other vice president. That is, that is really, I mean, I don't know the full, con, you know, what this actually means, and you know, Palestinian ancient Near Eastern culture, but I, this just feels very awkward. It's like being a high school or a college athlete 
uh, and your mom wanting to come in and talk to the football coach about why you're not getting enough playing time. Like, that is embarrassing. If you ever tempted to do that, let me just don't do that. You want to talk about social suicide for your kid? Like, don't do that one. Also want to talk about guaranteeing your child will never play. Um, yeah, anyhow, and so, but you can see here that she has this um, kind of false sense of power and this temptation to micromanage her child's life, to feel like, you know, uh, if, if I just ask Jesus and I make the right pitch, then, then my sons are going to have status, they're going to have success. And I think that um, that's a lot of what is going on with the pressure that we feel as parents. We feel like my child's long-term destiny is incumbent upon me making the right decisions and calling the right plays as a parent. Like if, if, if I don't get my child on the AAU team or if I don't get my child the special training or if I don't get my child in some summer academic program, then it, this could ruin their entire life. It could ruin their whole life. You know, they, they could... They could, they could suffer and then they end up on drugs and then they, you know, they fail out of college and then, you know, and every, you know, our, our, we start to spiral and, you know, and the spiral always ends with our child unconscious in a gutter with a stick of heroin in their arm, right? And so, but, and, and, and yet it's, it's a decision about whether we're going to play summer baseball or not, you know, and, and there's this, you know, but anyhow, and so we just really, the first thing is, you know, Jesus says only the father can, uh, only the Father determines who sits at my right hand or left hand. Basically, we just have to have much more realistic uh, expectations of how much power and control we really have. You know, we we just we just don't have that much power. We don't have that much ability to ensure um, that our kids have a, a good, prosperous, joyful, fulfilling life. And so, the first thing, and I think that's a relief. The more you kind of are realistic about, like, I really just don't have that much power and I don't have that much control. Um, it's kind of scary because that's a release of control, but it's also very freeing because you just realize that it's, it's, it's not on me. It's not all on me. Um, all right, so the second thing, second point that I see here that pertains to this struggle with kind of the keep-up culture is that uh, Jesus is saying, uh, she, she, is, she is thinking in terms of worldly success. She is thinking in worldly terms. I want my sons to be affluent, powerful, to have status. And Jesus is saying, uh, you know, what I'm concerned about is that you're that you guys would have the heart of a servant, that you would lay down your life for others. And so, you know, we all we want to be faithful parents, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting, you know, one of your child's gifts to be developed. You know, it says in, oh, is it Luke 2:42? Was it 142? I'm just terrible with memorizing numbers and scriptures. But, you know, Jesus grew in stature, wisdom, favor with man, and favor with God. And so you can kind of break that down into, like, the four categories of parenting. Stature is, like, their physical development and their health. It's good for them to get exercise, good for them to play a sport, good for them to eat good food, all that kind of stuff. Uh, good for them to go for their pediatrician checkups. Wisdom, it's, it's good for them to, you know, for their mind to be developed. Um, you know, it's, they do their homework, you know, take, take the classes they need to take, you know, take advantage of academic opportunities. That's a good thing. It's not, it's not like, it's not like you're doing a bad, we don't want to get all oversimplified and, and go, you know, to the extreme and be like, the only thing that matters is your child's spiritual life and their Christian character. That's just not true. Um, and then, you know, status, stature with, uh, status with men was, is their social development, their relational development. That's important. We want to guide them in that. Um, and then favor with God is their spiritual life. And I think, though, that as far as, like, what is more important, what is most important is your child's character. Um, I feel like a lot of times the, uh, the academic or the intellectual development and the athletic development really are what are kind of the, the tail that's wagging the dog. They're the ones that are kind of driving the ship. Um, I, I just, and I think that what tends to get be neglected is your child's, children's relational and emotional development and children's spiritual development. Um, I uh, have a, a neighbor. He is an awesome guy. He coaches one of the like very, very elite uh, club soccer teams in the state. And he played college soccer. He played professional soccer. His dad played professional soccer. And so he just had a baby. And I'm toting around my little 10-month-old around the neighborhood, and we're chitty-chatting. And I, so I was like, hey, man, I got to tell you. And it was kind of in preparation for this talk, but I also have been 
thinking a lot about um, a lot about sports and how how uh, sports can potentially dominate a family's life. Uh, and I was like, you know, tell me what do you think about this? Like, you know, he's like, yeah, he he goes, he hasn't been at Thanksgiving the last five years because there's a tournament at Disney World, uh, and that's like the showcase tournament. It's where all the college coaches go to scout talent. And so if you coach one of the elite teams, you have to go, or the kids aren't going to get the exposure that the, the parents are expecting. By the way, it sounds like it costs fifteen to twenty thousand dollars to be on a year for a family to be on one of those soccer teams. Probably shouldn't have said that. Whoops, sorry. We'll edit that one. No. Um, but anyhow, he so he said uh, he said, look, I'm just going to tell you, I was I I didn't see my sister and I hardly saw my mom at all when I was in high school because my dad and I were going to the soccer tournament every single weekend. He said that his uh, his team, they are. Uh, they are not in town, um, but a handful of weekends between end of August and end of January. And so he and his experience was the same. And he's like, Look, I'm just going to tell you, this guy pointing at the, you know, the two-month-old baby, he's like, he's not playing soccer. Or he's like, he's not doing the competitive thing. He's like, I coach it. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> it's fun, but that's, that's not going to be the story for my family. Because like, I, I, I want to I be at Thanksgiving. You know, I, and, uh, and so... So yeah, he said that he his his sister was like a competitive dancer, and he uh, like he only saw her one one dancer title in like five years, and he just like lamented that he really never knew his sister because they were both just like at soccer practice every night, dance practice every night. Mom's with her, dad was with with him, and there was just this you know separation of the family. And um, God, I really got off track there. But 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 you could see that athletic success dominated the family, dominated the family life above all things. And so I think one thing that uh, is good for the sake of focus and, and also it helps simplify life uh, is to realize that, like, above all, what is most important is your, child's, is your child's spiritual life and your child's character. Like, that's, that's really the primary thing that you're called to. Um, you, you, it's not your, it's not, God doesn't call you in the Bible for your child to be a, a college-caliber athlete. And God doesn't call you in the Bible for your child to, to get into Yale. Um, that's not, that's not like a biblical mandate. Um, that may be what God calls your child to, and that's a fine thing, and we'll talk about that later. But I think that one of the things that kind of creates this pressure is priorities just get out of line. Uh, we think that academic success and athletic success are, you know, the ultimate things, and we tune the neglect of, like, our child's relational and social development and, um, a child's, uh, spiritual life. So, all right. Uh, third thing, Whew. I think this is the biggest one, um, is you can see here that um, the, the mother, in, in, in a lot of ways, is trying to insulate her kids from pain and suffering. And I think that is probably the primary fear that drives the sense of needing to keep up, is a fear that my kid will be, um, and it may be a reality, your child may, may experience friction and resistance, and maybe some ridicule from friends because, because they don't have an iPhone. Um, or they might have that crushing disappointment of not making the basketball team, getting cut from, you know, cut from the dance squad or just sitting on the bench on the baseball team. Um, and, and so I think that, it, you know, we just really don't want our kids to suffer. I mean, I get that. I don't... I mean, I'm, I'm one of those parents at the park. I've got, I've got like the, you know, nearly three-year-old daughter who's very coordinated, and you know, she can do everything on the playground by herself. Like, she really doesn't need me. But I am totally. It's almost like I'm playing basketball defense. I'm kind of like shuffling and watching her, and you know, my hand is never more than six inches away from her. Like, no, we don't want her to fall. And and I, and I have that. God, this is the curse of youth ministry. I'm like always anticipating. You know, like, okay, if she steps here, then she falls there, and then boom, there's the rail, and we were teeth, our teeth are knocked out, and we got a concussion. Because in youth ministry, you're always, like, thinking six steps ahead on how the junior high boy is going to burn the building down. <laughs> That's a realistic concern. <laughs> Gil knows. Gil, Gil, Gil saw some boys set the, set the uh, bench on fire in the church bus while it was being driven. Like, this was 20 years, this was 20 years ago. This was 20 years ago. The kids will say that's the only time they ever saw Gil Cracky get upset, lose his temper, was when they were playing with uh, matches in an aerosol can in the church bus. Sorry, should I be telling this? 
<laughs> and and they caught the church and Gil saw the was it the the bench or the ceiling or both that were on fire? I was not there. I just remember hearing the story and having hives for about six weeks. Hmm. Totally. Anyhow. Yeah. But but anyhow, but the the point the point being uh, none of us want our children to suffer, and we want to do everything we can to prevent that from happening. Happening, but there's just this reality. I mean, there's just no way around it. I mean, your your kid is going to suffer. It's just going to happen. Um, and certainly, we want to be responsible and not, you know, and not invite those kind of things. Not, you know, give the keys to the car to our, an eight-year-old and tell them that, you know, it's a good time to learn how to drive on 280. Uh, you know, we don't, want to, we don't want to be irresponsible. We want to have curfews and things like that to protect our kids. And at the same time, there's just a point where you just have to accept that your kid is going to suffer. You did too. I did too. And we all know that we probably, we probably would have uh, zero courage and we'd have zero empathy and compassion in our life if we ourselves hadn't experienced rejection, if we hadn't failed, um, if we hadn't had a moral failure. Uh, that, you know, that's just, no one, no one is really sanctified in an environment of comfort. It seems like we're all kind of sanctified and Christ grows us uh, in the context of suffering. Uh, that's, just, that's just how there is to it. So we really just have to um, just kind of accept that like uh, my kid's going to suffer. It's going to be very difficult for me as a parent. Um, I cannot shield them from everything and I'm just going to pray. And I know that my child needs that, you know. I, I have so many students that I've seen over the year, and I'm like, oh, man, oh, gosh. It's going to, the only hope for this kid is to have their teeth knocked out. Uh, they've never failed in their whole life, and, God, they just really need a massive failure. They really need a, I needed, I needed humiliation to, I needed humiliation to have any kind of humility. I didn't have, like, six ounces of humility as a 22-year-old, and I needed to, like, epically fail um, to kind of understand the gospel. And so does your child. Probably not to the extent that I needed it. <laughs> your child's probably not as pompous as I was. Um, but I'm so grateful, so grateful for all my humiliations and, you know, on the back end. And so uh, we just have to trust the Lord with that, except that's going to happen and, and just kind of let go, just really let go. Uh, fourth thing is this. Uh, we don't believe that Jesus is really enough for our kid. We don't believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy our child. I'm going to have to credit Dawson Cooper with that. She's the one who gave me that insight. Um, But think about this. I said we don't believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy our child. Uh, Think about the mother of James and John. Here her two sons are in the Messiah's inner circle. They spend every day with God himself in the flesh. Um, And he teaches them. He invests in their life. They have as close a relationship with Jesus as like anyone on the face of the planet. And it's just not enough for her. It's not enough that they're in the inner circle of 12. She wants them to be number one and two. And so she doesn't believe that this relationship that they have with Jesus, that this guidance that he gives them, that this special place that they have in Jesus's life, she doesn't believe that that's enough for them. She, she wants more. Um, and that is, I think that's really pretty central too, um, is, and, and hey, I like, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's our own struggle every day if, if you're a Christian, is that uh, thinking that, well, yeah, I, I do, I, I have been made righteous by Christ, Christ does live in me. I do, I am, and do have this intimate relationship with God. Um, I do have this hope of heaven. But marble countertop sure would be nice. Um, or, gosh, a little more money. Or, gosh, a promotion. Or, ah, just to be a little cuter. You know, um, that, that's our, our daily struggle, right? And so, and so we project that onto our kids. Like, we don't really, we don't necessarily believe that, our kids knowing Christ will be enough to satisfy them. And so we think that we need to manufacture extra things for them, whether that's they need better clothes or whether they need more, you know, more technology or they need things to be accepted by the acceptance of friends or they need success. 
We don't believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy him. And, um, you know, she looks foolish. She looks very foolish in the story when we kind of contextualize it in a way where it's like, hey, your son's a disciple of Jesus. Like, isn't that enough? But we're not, we're not really any different. And, um, and so that's just something that we, first off, just have to ourselves seek out, to seek our deepest satisfaction in Christ. Um, and the, the more satisfied we are as parents in Christ and in that relationship, um, the more we're going to be, uh, the, more, the, the less prone we are going to, to, to be to try to supplement our child's life with extra things that we think will satisfy them. And so, and that's, a, like I said, an hourly struggle, just continually to returning to Jesus, uh, continuing to seek our deepest joy and deepest satisfaction in our relationship with God. And so, um, and, we, and we too do need to try to orchestrate our kids' life that they can grow in Christ. Um, because that is where they'll be most satisfied. Um, yeah, that's where they'll be most satisfied. Uh, let's see. Final thing is, uh, is that we just have to entrust our children's life to God. And we just have to seek the guidance and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit every day. Um, you know, it, it, really, it really may be that, you know, we don't want to make a wholesale, you know, uh, law that all of these things are bad. Because that's just not true. You know, Jesus, Jesus, one of his primary battles that he was fighting uh, in, in the Gospels was against the Pharisees because they were making up rules that were not in the Bible. Extra rules, extra obligations. And so, yeah, and, and it's, a, you know, it's a rule that your child has to do certain things in certain communities, has to have certain genes in certain communities. Um, but it can also be a rule to come back and say, iPhones are all bad at all ages. Travel baseball is bad at all ages. You know, that, that's, uh, that, that's doing, the same, it's doing the same thing, just in a different way, uh, and neither of which are biblical. And so what that means is we just have to be in touch with God and ask, seeking the Lord's wisdom on all these decisions. Uh, it really may be that it's great for your child um, to be on the travel baseball team. Uh, maybe the, the coach is this going to be a wonderful encouragement and uh, influence in their life. But, you know, we did, I think the point is we just don't want to do things out of obligation and because we feel this community pressure and we have these voices saying, if you don't, then this is going to happen to your child. That is the voice of the devil. I'm not saying the person who's speaking to you is the devil, but I'm saying that is, a, that is, the, message, that is the message of darkness. That is not a message of light. The message of the gospel is that um, I've made you righteous. Uh, you can never do anything to be, to be better than where you are now. You're perfectly loved and accepted. Um, and I'm here with you, and you're a sinner, and you, just, you are not capable of making all the right decisions. And, you know, and that's why I'm here. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to speak to you. I'm here to give you wisdom. That's why I've given you my word. That's why I've given you the Holy Spirit. And so, um, so yeah, so the gospel is freedom. And, um, and anytime you feel that pressure, you just know that that is the law creeping up on you, that is the flesh, that is darkness creeping up on you, and just remind yourself of the gospel, of like, I'm not, I don't have to do anything. My kid doesn't have to do anything. Like, Jesus is enough for my child. Jesus is enough for me. So, um, anybody have any questions, pushback? Thoughts? Hmm. Wow. What do we hear from our kids? You know, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. And of course, we're the same way. You know, it's that fear that we're the only one that's not going to give them a phone or whatever else. So it's stuff like this that's yeah. really helpful. We're like, oh, wait a minute. We're not the only one. Yeah. There are other people that are like us. And an informed thought that the community can be really helpful. Yeah. Uh, there is a family that goes to our church, and there we call it the Parents Union. They live in Homewood. They have about seven or eight families, and they—I don't think their kids know this. I don't think their kids know this, um, but they—they um, they make corporate decisions on 
when you know so are y'all letting them have Instagram uh, and they kind of talk about it and they all go in together so that when their kids say I'm the only one you're like no 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 actually actually these seven other families their kids don't even and so um, we uh, we think that's just that speaks to what Gil's saying you know like having a having a group of parents that you kind of collaborate with, you conspire with, um, and you have solidarity. It really is like a union, right? We all got to stay in. <laughs> no one can break. No one can break across the line. And uh, we are developing a parents' union. Um, going in? Yeah, you're in. Great. All right, another member. There we go. Strength in numbers. Um, but yeah, I, I encourage it to yeah to, to kind of bond together with like-minded families. So. Anybody else? Sarah, Katie. Yeah, hit it. Kind of along the same line. How do you what you just said makes make perfect sense once you said it, but communicating it to like Sarah's saying in their brain. Yeah. What I mean, what's a great what's a few practical ways to kind of help them understand it that y'all may think? But would you for your own good and not and not sound like, you know, your brain, I get it, but because I told you so. Yeah. Yeah. Gil, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I you know, Mary Matthews, we haven't had a lot of uh, knockdown drag outs with Mary Matthews yet. <laughs> Two, Mm. Sometimes it's probably really hard for them, we might guess. But they have this sense of... Uh, but they're insulated more than they're community. They do, because their community is key. Now, insulation is not the answer. We don't form a ghetto, an Advent ghetto, or a Christian ghetto, or a Union ghetto. Or uh-huh. No. But somehow, being in the world and not of it, in and out, having that community with the word, yeah, it must be hard to be that way. And they're not like it either, and respecting that, and sometimes letting them have a No, I think you're right. I mean, you expect resistance, but I, you know, you kind of play for the long-term vision of, all right, no, of course my four-year-old or of course my 15-year-old is not gonna not gonna like this, you know, but I want my I want my 35-year-old son projecting 20 years forward to respect me, and you know, I didn't like that my parents made me. But I, I never got I never got the shoes, and my parents could my parents could totally afford it, but it was just kind of a matter of principle, um, and. Uh, and you know, I always had to like cut the grass to earn my allowance. And I was like, the only person to do that. But like, I look back, I'm like, I, I'm I really respect my parents for that. Mm-hmm. On the material thing, especially because I'm now I'm just like very very low maintenance. <laughs> well, Anybody else have anything? There you go. You don't have to. No, I mean, I don't know anything about parenting, so clearly. But I, 
see it through the eyes of a teenager. Um, and just as an encouragement, I, I want to notice if I was a parent, that I've, I've met with students who will say, I haven't spoken to my mom in two weeks. Is she took away my phone or whatever it is. And it's been really powerful for me to see how much um, they actually kind of deep down really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Like they don't enjoy not talking to you, but that they respect it, and there's there's a lot of security even mm-hmm. when they're 18, and that mm-hmm. and that's been really powerful for me to see. Mm-hmm. That the difference between the ones that um, whose parents will tell them no, mm-hmm. and the ones who um, it's like they're waiting for somebody to drop the hammer, and not not looking for it. So it's been powerful for me to see. I'll echo that. I think that they appreciate that structure and that Absolutely. box. I mean they. They don't act like it, but they need, they really internally need that restraint and for you to pull them back in. I mean, I see it too. There'll be some initial resistance, but they're so much happier when they, when you say no and they're at home or they feel that release. And they do. I mean, they do release Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. What's that expression? um, Don't prepare the road for your child, prepare your child for the road. Kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything that's the wrong way. Get equip them with the skills to make those decisions and face the hard times. Mm-hmm. One thing that still works with my boys is that when they were little we would always kind of give the power back to them in decision making. We'd give them a choice. You'd give them, you know, one good choice and two choices and you knew they weren't gonna choose. So they would be choosing, but they would always choose the one that you (laughs) intended for them to choose because the other two were terrible, but they were choosing. Right. You know? And so we still, we still, we still do that. And it's because you're not telling them what to do. They're like, well, if I have to choose, it's going to be clearly that one. Like, well, you. That's a good choice. I mean, it does work. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, it's 9:30, so I'm gonna pray for us and, and let everybody go. Um, Lord, we love you. Uh, we we thank you for uh, for laying down your life for us. Pray you help us lay down our lives for others, and pray you give us wisdom. Um, help us find our deepest satisfaction in you, and uh, pray that that would would drive and influence our our parenting. As the Spirit in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.